Well, I was in my office just before um, I walked over here this morning, and um, I'm going to be preaching a very familiar passage, familiar to me, it's familiar to you, and I uh, still found myself in the office confessing. Um, the Word has, has that effect on you. Um, it's uh, one of the things that, that I've become aware of, and, and, and unfortunately, maybe even surprised about to a certain degree, um, as I have been a Christian uh, for uh, a number of years now, is the, the longer I'm a believer, the more I'm finding that, that I have to uh, repent or relearn or shore up things that I once conquered in my life. Things that I once overcame, things that I, I, I had nailed down, at least I thought. And, um, and they were. I mean, I was being obedient to the Word, and, and those things were operating in my life, and, and there was a certain level of, of victory and maturity. And, and what I've found is, um, is because of the fall, you, uh, you, you constantly have to, to be diligent. Um, have you ever you heard of tragic stories where where men uh, or or people have been believers for their whole their whole life and and then then there's a there's a tragic fall or something later in life and you say well you know well, well what happened um, because of the fall the Bible says that 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 nature fights against us doesn't it? I mean, you don't mow the grass one time and it's forever mowed. You know, it grows. Um, you know, you, you have to take a bath every day. Listen very carefully, Jared. You have to take a bath every day because of the, because of the world that we live in and, and the fall. You can't leave things unmaintained. Yeah, there's a certain level where you go out and you take dominion and you conquer. There's an initial battle that you, that you win. But then you have to keep feeding troops to that, to that line. You have to continue to be diligent in those areas. And so when you come to a familiar passage of Scripture, don't think, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. You know, oh yeah, I've heard that preached a number of, of times because it's in the Bible and the Word is alive, it's living because we have to continually be, be sanctified. And it's... it's it's a passage that, that has to do with the, the wisdom of God. I don't know how many of you were here uh, on Wednesday night, but Clay preached the garden narrative and, and summarized it, talked about how the temptation was uh, from, the, from, from Satan, from the serpent, was to, to gain wisdom from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, to gain forbidden wisdom. Wisdom that was not obtained from God. Wisdom that was, that was gathered outside of, of God's ways. And, and the passage that we're going to look at, um, Matt read from, it, it, it has its roots in, in Ephesians 5.15. And it says, See that you walk wisely, not as fools. See that you walk circumspectly or uprightly not as fools but wise, redeeming the time because the days are, are evil. 
That's a reminder that the wisdom that we need for life, the wisdom that we need for parenting, the wisdom that we need for being a father comes from the Lord. And because we live in a world that is evil, it's, it's continually eroding, continually attacking that, that wisdom. So we're reminded of that. Verse 17 says, Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this morning we're going to see the will of the Lord as it relates to our most basic relationships, specifically father to, to son or parent uh, to child. My absolute favorite um, illustration I get to share this morning because it's a Father's Day illustration. And if you heard it before, you can laugh again because uh, every time, I, every time I, I read it or hear it, it's just hysterical to me. It was it's a father passing his son's bedroom, and he was astonished to see on the bed that the bed was nicely made and everything was picked up. And, and he saw an envelope propped up prominently addressed to Dad. And he opens it up, and here's what the letter says. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I wanted to let you know I have eloped with my new girlfriend. I wanted to avoid a scene with... You and Mom, because I know you wouldn't approve of all of her piercings, tattoos, and motorcycle clothes. Even though you wouldn't care for the fact that she's much older than I am, I want you to know that it's all good because she already owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. She also tells me, uh, she also tells me she wants to have more children than the four she already has, and we're praying that that uh, that her trial goes well so that she can keep them at home this time. Don't worry, Dad. I'm sure we'll be back to visit you as soon as uh, as is practical and you can get to know your grandchildren, your son, Benjamin. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at the neighbor's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than my report card that's in my desk center drawer. I love you. Call me when it's safe to come home. <laughs> now that's a smart kid. Love that. Hopefully you don't get a letter like that and it's, it's real. But parenting has plenty of surprises. And it does get more and more complicated in our, in our world. And while life might throw many things at us, and the culture might change, for a Christian, Christian parents, God has given us a sure word. A sure word to guide our lives. And if you're a believer, you're different. You operate your life different from the, from the world. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And being a Christian affects every part of your life. And it especially affects the the most intimate relationships, specifically the home. And in Ephesians, God instructs us how we're to order our lives and our, and our homes and the, the, the changes that Christ makes in a, in a family. The passage we're going to be looking at is Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. And the root of this passage goes all the way back to, to chapter 4, verse 
verse 1. If you want to turn back there, keep your finger in Ephesians 6, 1. Because that's the specifics of how to fulfill what goes all the way back to chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul has been describing all that the Trinity has done in your salvation, the role of the church, how special it is, bringing together Jew and Gentile. And then he gets to this therefore, this this passage that says, Therefore, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord beseech you. I I encourage you, I, I exhort you, and here's what he exhorts, that you walk worthy of of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy of your Christianity. Walk worthy of of the fact that you've been called by God into into His kingdom. And then he goes through chapter 4 and he gives those passages about how God has provided gifts to His church for the equipping of the saints unto maturity. And turn over to chapter 5, verse verse 1. You have another... Another trunk, part of the, of the tree trunk here. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as, as dear children. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Be imitators of God. And, and then in, in verse 2, he says, walk in love. I, I, what does being imitators of God look like? You, you walk in love. You live your life in, in love. Look at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you're light. Walk as children of the light. Be imitators of God, and that, that's walking in love. That's walking in the light. And then in verse 15, where Matt began to read, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So you're to walk in a manner worthy of your, of your calling. And, and that looks like imitating God, and... And imitating God means walking in love, walking in the light, and walking in wisdom. His wisdom, not worldly wisdom. Wisdom that comes through the Scriptures. And then, in verse 22, we're beginning with with wives, submit to your husbands. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives. And then our passage, children, obey your parents. That's the, the how. How it applies... How walking in love, walking in the light, walking in wisdom applies to the most basic and closest relationships we we have. He moves from the marital relationship to to the family, parents and children, to a larger circle, which is the workplace. Slaves and masters. We don't have the same kind of slaves and masters. I was going to say we don't have slaves and masters in our world today, but some of you who work at jobs that you don't enjoy might disagree. We're going to look at the second area. We're not going to look at marriages. We're going to look at parent, the parent-child relationship. How does Christ affect the relationship between parent to child? Men, fathers, don't take this lightly. Don't take it lightly that God identifies Himself as Father. He's not named after us. We're given a, an example of, of how, what we're to imitate. Now, we know we can't do that perfectly. But God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Spirit, here is, is how Christ, how being changed through Christ should affect the relationships between parent and, ch- and, parent and child. 
And it's very simple. It's, it's not a hard passage to understand. There are two parenting guidelines for, for the Christian family here. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. And the first is children are to obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he quotes one of the Ten Commandments. Honor father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That Here's the promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the, on the earth. He gives us two guidelines, two parenting guidelines for the Christian family. And the first is children are to live under the authority that God has, has created. Live under the authority that God has created. In this, this first three verses, there's a command. Paul specifically tells us the extent of the command, and then he tells us the benefit of obedience. Did you ever think in your life that the idea that children should obey their parents, parental authority, would ever be something that anyone in the United States of America would ever even question? It's beyond being questioned. But here, gives this specific and simple command, the guideline for Christian family. The first one is children are to live under the authority that God has created. He takes all of these back to... To creation, and you have a you have a parallel passage in Colossians that says the same thing in Colossians three twenty. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. Again, he gives a command and he gives an extent. Ephesians is the one that tells us about the about the blessing. Let's look at the command from God to be obeyed. Children, obey your parents. In the Lord. It's an imperative. He uses the word for child, techna, which is a general word for child. It's not a little infant. Whenever in the Gospels, when Jesus says, Suffer the little children to come unto me, he doesn't use this word. He uses, in one of the passages, he uses little babies. This is a, just a general word for children. Now, the Bible doesn't give specifics like when you turn 18 or when you turn 21, like we do in society. When a child becomes an adult, the closest thing you'd probably find to that is the Jewish bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah where you have a 13-year-old for a boy or a 12-year-old for a girl. It co- coincides in Jewish tradition with, with puberty and that's the point that the child becomes accountable to the law themselves. Prior to that, the parents are responsible for their, for their actions. But there's no age, specific age given in Scripture so this command for, for children, this general command, would encompass anyone who's unmarried, an unmarried child still living at home under, under a parent's authority. The Bible doesn't know anything about our world of adolescence where you're a child and then you kind of go in this no man's land where you, you cease to be a parent or you cease to be an adult and, or you're not an adult yet and you cease to be a child the Bible doesn't know that. Either you are under authority or you are your own authority, whether that's, that's being in a, in a married family yourself or single as unto the Lord, as 1 Corinthians 7 gives. And, and he says that, that whoever is in that category is to obey. 
There's a difference between honor and obey. This, this is a command. This is obey. It's, to, it's hupa akuo, to hear and under. There's two words. It means to come under what you hear. It means to listen. Similar to the Old Testament where you find in the Shema, Hear, O Israel. Come under. Listen and come under what you hear God say. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hupokuo is the same idea. It was also used for the duty of adornment. Adormans, their task is to listen for the knock at a door. Now, if you go to a restaurant today, typically the doors are glass. So they see you coming and they open the door. There's no glass in, in this day. And so they have to listen for the knock on the door. So a doorman's job is to stand there by the door and listen for the knock. And when they hear the knock, they, they open the door. It's the same idea. A parent, when your parent speaks to you, you come to the door and you obey what they, what they say. You stand ready like a, like a doorkeeper. That's the attitude and that's the action. And the verse gives us the extent of the, of the command. Ephesians, here says, Children, obey your, Lord, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians adds, in all things. There's the extent. In the Lord, in all things. So obedience to your parents is an obligation to God. That's what in the Lord means. Let me put that in perspective. If you are under your parents' authority, to disobey them in matters that line up with Scripture is, is rebellion against the Lord. That's what this passage is, is indicating. Just as it, on the flip side, it is for a parent to exasperate their, their child, both of those are sin. And you obey them because you're obligated as one of God's, God's children to do that. And he goes on to say this is right, it's proper, it's well-pleasing to God. You please God whenever you obey your parents. You displease God whenever you don't. It's, again, it's not a, not a difficult passage to understand. To obey them in all things. It means all areas. It means things when you think they're right and when you don't think they're right. It it means who your friends are and who they're not. It means where you go and where you don't go. If you're in this category of living under their authority, it's, it's all things. And if you're under your parents' authority, you may be thinking, well, what if I disagree? What if I, what if I know they're wrong about a matter? How do I not have any recourse? What, what is my recourse? Well, this, this passage gives it. Christian under the authority of their parents, where they think their parents are wrong or being unreasonable, they have a recourse, which is to appeal to God. It's, it's a command unto the Lord. You don't rebel or take it into your own hands. You appeal unto, unto the Lord. Mark Twain said, When I was 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21... I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. I'm sure no child ever felt that way. So what do you do if you feel that way? You appeal to the Lord. Since your obedience to this passage is fulfilled as unto the Lord, you appeal to God and you, 
trust the Lord to work in their life. Now, the only thing that wouldn't be included in all things is if they would ask you to violate the Scriptures. If your parents would ask you to choose between obeying them or obeying God, you obey God, period. So there's a command, there's the extent of the command, and then there's a promise. Children, obey your parents. There's the command. In the Lord in all things, Colossians says, for this is right, this is well-pleasing to God. And then he gives the, the benefit of obedience. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And here's the promise. Here is the, the promised benefit of, of obedience, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the, on the earth. That command is, is a command with a specific promise. Now, all of God's commands bring blessing. It's the promise of, of obedience to God in general brings blessing. But this one's specific. This is foundational to society. This is foundational to, to life. The idea of getting this whole authority and submission thing right. God declares here that there's an inherent benefit to training yourself as a child to obey your parents. Obeying will provide a foundation for a prosperous and productive life. That's what he's saying. That it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. It doesn't mean that if you learn to obey your parents, there's nothing bad going to happen to you. Or that everything in life is going to turn out rosy or blessing. It means that one of the foundational principles for you to live a prosperous life, for you to learn how to live on the earth, for you to learn how to function in society, for you to know how to be an adult, is to understand the authority-submission principle. It means in general, the person who learns to obey their parents learns a foundational, foundational principle to build their life on. And that leads to great spiritual Riches. You may not see it now, but those seeds are planted in this phase, in the child-parent phase, that will come up later. What Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears and Miley Cyrus have in common is not hair dye or any other things. It's that they failed to grasp. You can look at anybody in society that fails to grasp the authority, obedience, consequences, paradigm, and you will find someone who doesn't know how to function in life. Disobedience to parents is characteristic in the Bible of the ungodly. Romans 1.30, the passage that talks about really ugly sin, lists disobedience to parents. A characteristic of the unsaved in Titus 3.3 is disobedience. Those in the last days that, that are, when they wax worse and worse in Second Timothy, when apostasy will increase, disobedience to parents is included in the list. It's, it's because it's foundational. It's, it's a fundamental building block. It's a serious, serious thing. But children are not the only ones who have responsibility in the, in the matter. So if you're a parent sitting there going, yeah, yeah, give it to him, Pastor. Hold on, because the verse 4 is coming. Look at verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke, provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the, the training, nurturing, and admonition 
of the Lord. He just turns the coin over. Second, his fathers are to shepherd their children with, with care. Fathers are to shepherd their children with care. Now, he gives in this passage what is prohibited and what is prescribed. He gives a, don't do this, do this. And parenting takes great skill and, and care. And the end goal of parenting is to bring them up in, in training and admonition of the Lord, to, to bring them up to, to produce spiritually mature adults. It's raising godly seed. It's to move them from dependent on you to dependent upon the Lord. Psalms describes parenting like drawing and aiming and shooting children into the world like like an arrow launched from above. And a child that's been well prepared leaves their parents' home and establishes their own home, whether that be in marriage or or under the Lord, as said in the gift of singleness. And it's the responsibility of the fathers to leave this to lead this process, which is why they're addressed first. It doesn't mean that mothers don't do this. It means that fathers lead. Colossians says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. And here, you fathers provoke not your children to wrath. Both of the parallel passages address fathers. And as children are commanded to stand ready to obey what they hear, parents are to command with skill and, and care. Let's look at what's prohibited here. It says, do not provoke your children to, to wrath or do not exasperate. Both, both commands are commands to parents. He says, don't provoke them to anger or exasperating and those, those have the same results. Provoking to anger means to bring, bring a person along to the, to the point of resentment. It, it doesn't just mean that, that you poke them a couple times until they finally get mad and, and they, blow, they blow up or your children rebel. It's, it's not the idea of an individual event. It's, it's an idea that, that what your parenting produces is it brings them to the point of resentment brings them to the point where they resent authority. They resent the God-given authority. Provoking them to anger means to bring one along to resentment. And it's ultimately a resentment of God's, God's authority. And, and I mean, all parents face the temptation where they have a child who wants to be like the other children, and they say, you know, you have to say no and they say, you just don't understand, and they resent the decision. That's not what Paul's talking about here. It, it means to, to beat a child's spirit down to the point that they, that they feel no longer that obeying matters. It means to bring them to the point where they say, you know, what's the use? Um, it, it's, it has the idea of snuffing out the, the God-given desire to obey. And I think that you can see in this passage three ways that, that we're tempted to do that. And, sir, I found myself doing some repenting. 
How do you bring your child to that point? I think you do that by parenting, by nagging. Let me give you three of these. This is not going to be on the screen. You can write them down. Parenting by nagging. Provoking to wrath literally means don't exasperate or irritate to the point of breaking. One version translated it, stop nagging your kids. I've never done that. Have you ever done that? It's the idea of always being on them. It means to verbally hammer them into submission. It means to to box them in a corner with your words and verbally hammer them to the place where they will do what you say and you never touch their heart, you never touch their mind, you never convince them of the validity of your point or what the Lord says. It's, it's pairing being contentious like a dripping faucet. It's parenting where they feel like they, that they can't get it right. They measure, never measure up. And therefore they give up. If the bar is so high and there's never any blessing, they'll lose hope that they'll ever get there. And that's what nagging produces. Parent by nagging, parent by hypocrisy. But we'll, what will bring about this exasperation? Parent by hypocrisy. Provoking them to wrath also means or has the idea of giving them instruction in hypocrisy or something that contradicts itself. Now, I know that you've gotten to the place like I have at times where you don't know how to explain it or you don't have time to explain it or you're frustrated and you say, do it because I said so. But if that's the normal way that that you parent, it can have tragic consequences. Telling your children that they can do something, they can't do something when, when you're doing it won't, won't fly either. It can create great resentment. once had a family member watched him tell his daughter that he, she couldn't drink soda because it would make her overweight while he was sitting there giving her that instruction with a, with a can of soda in front of him about 30 or 40 pounds overweight. Don't do that. <laughs> Keep your own rules. A parent instructs... They show their children why God commands them to, to do something. Now, they may not be able to understand it all, but that's the, the desire... Your desire is not just to give them a rule. Your desire is to help them, to shepherd them, help them to understand. Parenting by nagging, by hypocrisy. And parenting primarily through the conscience and not Scripture can have exasperating results. What do I mean by that? I mean that your authority is the, is the Bible. The conscience is given by God as your ally. It's an ally. It's an ally to the Holy Spirit. It's... But take care of binding the conscience on matters that are outside of Scripture. Binding the conscience on matters of, of preferences. Now, to the extent you, you must govern your life, you must govern your home, there may be things, there may be ways that you govern your home where you've applied principles. That's a given. You have to do that. 
you, you have to do that until a child learns themselves. Their own conscience is instructed. They figure out how to work the angles on the principles. They, they know how to operate in that world. What I'm, what I'm cautioning is, is if you say God commands something, make sure that God commanded it. Make sure that it's not a principle that's applied. If it's a principle applied, then tell them it's a principle applied. If you don't, it sets up a, a future contradiction. If you tell them that God commands something when it's a matter of principle that, that you've brought application to, and when they get out on their own, when they get out from under your nest or however you want to say it, and they go to the Scriptures and look for that command and it's not there, there's a contradiction. Mom and Dad told me this was a command and I don't find it in the Bible. And so now they say, well, what else did Mom and Dad tell me was a command that wasn't a, a command? Tell them it's a principle. Tell them it's a matter of wisdom. Instruct them on the matter. Don't say, well, you know, you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. That's not being a good parent. You've got to help them figure it out. But help them figure it out. Be careful where you put the weight of, of authority. You want to establish for them that the Bible has the answers. Mom and Dad aren't the ultimate authority. Mom and Dad are under an ultimate authority. That's where the ultimate authority is. And when it speaks, you speak with such conviction that the world can fall down around your ears and you're never going to forsake the Bible. And when it doesn't speak, it's okay. The result of all of those, you can take the heart out of your child. That's the idea of lest they be discouraged. Literally bring them to the point of heartlessness. That's what not to do. Now look at what's prescribed, the other part of the verse. But bring them up. Don't exasperate them, provoke them to wrath. But bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Bring them up means to provide, to instruct with with tender care. It has the idea of like a shepherd tending to a, tending to a sheep. You're seen, uh, you're went to a petting zoo where they allow you to feed the little, the little baby goats or whatever it is, and there's a bottle there. I mean, it has the idea the, of, of the, your child or whoever's holding the little bottle and the, the little baby goat comes up, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's cute, it's sweet. It's a, there's a nurturing aspect there, shepherding has the idea of, 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 of being that way. That's the way that you are in parenting. And it's an ongoing thing. It's, it's, a, it's a word that's not just a single dose or, or hammering a list of rules until they get it, but a daily feeding, a, a leading toward the goal of, of godliness. Parenting is not accomplished like an immunization. We have this conversation at my house on a regular time. How many times do I have to tell you that? How many times have we went over that? Well, 150,000. How many times are necessary? 151,000. And then I say, how many times is it necessary? How many times does the Lord have to tell me Ephesians 6, 1 through 4? Whenever I've read the passage a hundred times, translated it from the Greek. Parenting's not accomplished like an immunization. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a one-and-done. It's, it's over time like a shepherd feeds his sheep. It's, 
Nurture and admonition or training and admonition is both positive and corrective instruction. It's it's the idea of of admonishing them. That means you step in and you say, that'll hurt you, that's bad, that... It's having enough guts to tell them whenever they're going in the wrong direction. And, and the other side is, is an ongoing nurturing or a discipline where, you, where there's tender care. You don't want parenting always to be when you have to correct them. You don't want parenting only to be admonishment. You want it to be when there's no issue, when it's going on every day and... And yeah, there are times when you have to step in and say, that's bad, that'll hurt you. And whether you understand it or not, you, you can't do this. Both of those are, are hard and if not impossible to accomplish with, without, the, without the Lord. Whether it's children, obey your parents, because you have a sin nature and your desire is going to be deep within to rebel and resent authority. And that ultimately comes from what happened in the fall because we ultimately rebel and resent God's authority. And that's what Christ changes, but you still fight against that. And there's also going to be a tendency as a, as a, as a parent to, to be disengaged or to provoke and discourage. And yet the Lord says that He's provided His Word and His Spirit and even the church to help in that, in that process. God gives specific instructions to fathers and children. You have to look to Him for the strength to do it.